women of and in the church. Our final um, topic here this evening, we began uh, with those three words. Um, who can tell me what the three words are? Well, well one of the three words. The three, the three words that characterize the prohibitive elements uh, of descriptions of, of uh, women, what, what their role is not in the church, or the manner in which their role is exercised in the church. Who can give me one of those three S words um, that, that we, we spoke of as it relates to women in the church? Kimberly? Shamefacedness is one of them. Very good. Aletheia? Silence is the second one, and you all missed the easy one, so that should be easy for someone. Silence, shamefacedness, and... Aletheia? Submission, very good. Submission is number three. So we've talked about those. We talked about what they mean, what they don't mean. And then, of course, we spent some time next talking about the women's role in the church. We uh, began with this idea of, uh, of saved and childbearing and recognizing the role of women in the assembly as it relates to um, bearing and bringing up the next generation of the church. There is no man who is behind the pulpit uh, touching the lives of those in his congregation, but that he had a mother who brought him into this world. Uh, and so we recognize that uh, the fingerprints that are on this generation of the church are the fingerprints of the mothers of last generation. And that's very important. That is the, the primary functional role, as, as Paul speaks to it, the redeeming value in that uh, he, we suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over, over the man is that she uh, carries her influence into the church through the godly generation that she raises up to become the next generation of the church. Then last time we talked about service to the church and we contemplated um, Phoebe in Romans chapter 16, uh, whom Paul calls a servant uh, in the church or a servant of or to. Let's, let's double check on our word here. Um, <clears throat> servant of the church. Um, then we recognize that that word servant is the same word from which we get the word deacon. So we spent a good portion of our time thinking through what that did or did not or could or could not mean as it related to women's roles in the church, uh, concluding most certainly that um, women, while we may or may not, and various churches may or may not recognize an office of, of deacon uh, wherein a woman might be able to to function depending on what that office looked like and such, um, we most certainly recognize that women have a and uh, important role to play as it relates to serving the church. And so there are any number of capacities outside of those roles of teaching and authority wherein there is no prohibition and there's certainly in many of those cases um, uh, a, a, a strong... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Superiority of capacity as it relates to women in the church in, in, in numerous ways that the church needs to be served to be able to function uh, f accordingly or to, function, to, to be a functioning local church doing all of the things that the local church uh, needs to do as it relates to uh, blessing and serving one another. So uh, we, we've got those two, and, and tonight we're going to contemplate this idea of prayer and prophecy. But before we do so, any, any other thoughts, uh, maybe from last week's discussion that uh, you were bouncing around in your mind throughout the week, something that maybe came up that you wanted to ask about, uh, um, thoughts that you had, um, concerns that, that, that are worth raising, and, and anything to, to add to our, our contemplations. Okay, uh, so prayer and prophecy. Now, this kind of takes us back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And if you recall in 1 Corinthians 11, um, this is where Paul is setting down this. The, uh, he is commending them for keeping the ordinances, and specifically the ordinance that he delivered unto them uh, that women would um, cover their heads. And so we see the idea here. Um, that, that women would wear a head covering. Now, when we talked through that and we recognized th this was the passage we went to as it related to submission, and we went there not because we see the clearest command of submission, but we see the clearest example of submission, right? That the head covering, the idea that the woman covers her head, acknowledging the, that, that, that she is under submission to 
her head or, or two men in, uh, and, and we have said in the assembly, um, we, we recognized as we continued through um, to verse 16, but if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God, that Paul is not laying down a definitive requirement as it relates to women wearing head coverings in the church per se. He says, if there's contention around this idea, this is a custom. We have no such custom, not even the churches of God, if there's contention around this idea. However, he did commend them for keeping it. And so we, we talked through that a little bit, but recognize that the operative element, the operative focus of this passage was not whether or not women put something on their heads or even the, 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 the idea from nature that... Um, that, that women have long hair and men have short hair as, as that nature testimony to this idea, but rather that the woman is in submission, right? And so these external reflections of submission are, are all well and good, but the, the, the fundamental and functional point is that the women express said submission and we've said in the body. And... Um, uh, Within this, within this passage, we see in verse, uh, we'll begin in, in verse 2. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head for that is even all one as if she were shaven. And then as we continue um, he asks in verse 13 judge in yourselves comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered. So we see this implicit statement that, that women are free to pray and prophesy as long as they do it in the manner whereby their head is covered. Now, a few things here. First, recall what we talked about when we talked in 1 Corinthians 14 about prophecy. Who can explain to me from the context of 1 Corinthians what the idea of prophecy is in 1 Corinthians as Paul described it specifically in chapter 14? What was the contrast that was made in 1 Corinthians 14? Does anyone recall that? Good. So there was a contrast between tongues and prophecy. And Paul used 1 Corinthians 14, just following 1 Corinthians 13, that great chapter on love, to advocate for prophecy above tongues. And why was prophecy, why did Paul advocate for prophecy above tongues in the church. That's right. Because prophecy it brings about edification. Tongues, no one can understand it unless there's an interpreter. Prophecy, you're speaking in the native language, the language that everyone understands. And prophecy is good unto edification. So that we find that the essence of prophecy is actually not telling the future here. It is forth telling the word God in a manner that edifies the assembly. So it, it is not even necessarily teaching per se, but it is, it, is, it, is, it is stating the truth, right? It is stating the truth in order to edify the body of Christ. So we see that being the context of prophecy as we find it in 1 Corinthians. And we do find this acknowledgement here uh, of women praying and prophesying. Now, let me say this as the big asterisk as we talk about this. There is nowhere in 1 Corinthians 11 that explicitly says that anything that's happening here as it relates to head coverings, prayer, prophecy is, is happening in the assembly. You don't, you don't see technically anything now in, in verse 17. He talks about them coming together. And them not coming together for the better but for the worse because of the nature in which they were profaning the Lord's table. But we don't actually see um, a direct statement of this being in the assembly. However, 
What we do understand is that 1 Corinthians 11 is Paul's instructions to the church about various aspects of life and godliness. And I think that it's more likely that what Paul is talking about in verses 1 through 16 is in the context of the assembly than not in the context of the assembly. Uh, do you have any thoughts or, or, or uh, insights into, into that? Uh, anybody have any, any thoughts as to whether or not um, we can safely assume that when Paul is instructing in 1 Corinthians 11 verses 1 through 16, we can safely assume that we're talking about um, the, the conduct in the assembly itself? Or can we not? And the reason why I ask the question is because this is really the only con we see no examples in the New Testament of, well, we don't really see a whole lot of examples in the New Testament of church services at all. And the places where we do see those, we certainly do not see female contribution. But they're, they're very rare. Um, this would be one of, the, one of the few places where there might be implied female contribution other than uh, what we might understand of the 70 in the upper room where uh, we would understand uh, prayer going on there and would presume uh, that, that there were women among them. Uh, and then uh, maybe uh, when uh, Peter comes to the house and Rhoda comes to the door, uh, we, again, we might presume that in that prayer meeting there were women there, but, but, but we don't see any explicit statement much. Um, we have this statement. Here, though, that lends us to the idea that, that there was an outlet for prayer prophecy in the assembly, assuming that this instruction is applicable to the assembly. And the reason why we might think so is because he does talk about the ordinances, and he is speaking to the, the group that is the church. However, not every tradition that the church holds is explicitly held only in the assembly, uh, right? Um, there's plenty of traditions that we might hold to uh, outside of the assembly, such as praying before we eat, uh, or um, reading our Bible every day, or um, these, sorts of, these sorts of religious practices that uh, have elevated themselves, perhaps even in our circles, to, to a point of, of, of strong encouragement, of tradition, of exhortation, but they're not things that we see directly spoken of in the scriptures to do. These are things that the church has seen fit to choose to do uh, because of the, the, the value that they hold to the, to the believer. So any, any thoughts at all on this? Does anybody have a, a concern with us interpreting this as within the assembly? Uh, the, this idea here. Right. Um, where is a is a home prayer meeting in a as we know of as a, a congregation morning church service? Is it a you know, Bible study? Right? Yep. Just different places where what covers both. Uh, good questions. The 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 question is going to dominate our thinking tonight. Actually, or I mean the first question. Um, the first question was, um, uh, how far? How do we define prophecy? When does it roll over into usurping authority or teaching? And uh, what, what does that look like? And that's something that we need to discuss. Um, and the simple reason is because we don't have a, we don't, we don't have a, a, a in-depth definition of these things. Now, our, 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 next, um, our next series, we're going to be contemplating various elements of spiritual authority, and, and, and that's going to get into the spirit realm. And it's the same thing there. We don't have uh, a deep and explicit 
instructions as it relates to some of these things. And so there's, there are some real question marks there, um, and, and we're, we're going to talk through that. Your, your second question, though, uh, what, would even, what would the assembly be? You know, most people would say something to the effect of Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. However, we recognize that that is speaking of the authority of the, uh, that Christ's authority rests in a judgment sense when there are those in the body who are agreed in this manner. Uh, and so the idea there is agreement unto authority, whereby God regards the authority of, of those few in that way. So we, 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 it's a good question, one that is worth contemplating. Does anybody have any thoughts on that? Is that a hand, Steve? No? Okay. Sarah? Yeah, so uh, he, the principle as it, li- as it is laid down is this, that women do not speak authoritatively or usurp authority in the church, right? We recognize from 1 Corinthians 14, uh, where women are said to be silent, uh, that, that they're required to be silent, that we see that same idea that men are to be silent, men are to be silent if they don't have an interpreter, and women are to be silent, which means men don't speak in tongues in the assembly unless there's someone interpret for you. If, you. if there's no one to interpret for you, keep your mouth shut. And of course, that's, we, we, we do not recognize tongues and we walk through that whole thing. Why we today don't recognize tongues as a valid regular sign in the church today. Uh, but as Paul was speaking to those men at those times where tongues was still something that was uh, being used as a sign, reflecting to unbelieving Jews of the, the transition between Judaism and, and the Old Testament and Christianity in the New Testament. So as we see that transition take place, um, he says, men, don't just keep your mouth shut if you don't have an interpreter. Don't speak in tongues because there's no one to interpret, which means you're not edifying the body, which means you're doing the body no good, so just keep your mouth shut. And then as it related to that same idea, women don't speak at all. And so we might actually glean from that not just a boundary as it relates to speaking in tongues, but we might glean from that a boundary whereby, okay, so whatever the speaking in tongues would have been, thereby needing an interpreter, we might presume that the reason why women were not supposed to speak at all is because there's no way she could enact that, that gift without usurping authority or teaching. That's, that would be an inference, but perhaps that's the case. Um, so we, we know that we have that line. We see that in 1 Corinthians 11 with the head covering idea. We see it more explicitly in 1 Corinthians 14 with the idea of authoritative speaking. And it's solidified in 1 Timothy 2 with the idea in 1 Timothy 2, uh, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man. And that's very explicit in that, in that context. So then that does bring up the question, what does it look like? And Sarah mentioned uh, kind of like, well, what we do on Tuesday nights in Sunday school, right? Where there are, are opportunities for women to contribute in a manner that is not uh, um, usurping authority or, or, or explicitly um, commanding the authority of the teacher, but rather to, in a submissive way, uh, expound upon, make comments upon, ask questions regarding the teaching at hand. Um, there have been uh, times wh- where um, sometimes that line gets flirted with a little bit, uh, where there might be some disagreement and where uh, a woman is tempted or has uh, attempted at, at, at times to challenge the teaching. That is something that the scriptures do not allow within the assembly. That has no outlet to challenge the teaching. There are ways to seek clarity or um, bring up an inconsistency without usurping authority or stepping outside of authority. We call that in the church respectful appeal. 
And the idea of respectful appeal is a manner in which you can maintain your a subservient position while also appealing to said authority for clarity or correction. And um, that is something which is entirely possible to do uh, and which we would not necessarily believe would breach the principle. Pastor, you said this, but what about this verse? What, what, do you, what do you make of that? And then Pastor realizes that he's a doofus and he was wrong, and now he gets to clarify or whatever it might be. Right? Oh, yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. I didn't even think about that. Now we have to, now we have to shift our conclusion. Thank you. Very well done. That can be done without stepping outside of that place of submission, shamefacedness, and even silence as we, under, as we define silence from the scriptures. And then other contributions. We talk about song and testimony night. The ability for a woman to, to raise her hand, to speak up, and to share what God has been teaching her. And yes, these are... These are instances where you might say, well, that's kind of a loophole, right? If I get up and say, God has taught me all of these things to the assembly, is, is that a loophole? Well, maybe it is. Well, let me ask you, is that a loophole? Should that be avoided? Joel. It is. Right. You know, so we, we talk about liberty and fences. And we've talked we talk we've talked regularly about this idea that I can put the fence back very far to stay safe. And if I put my fences back very far from the edge of the cliff that is sin, so the edge of the cliff, that's when I fall into sin. I put the fence, I can put the fence right by the edge, but then I have no wiggle room. While I have no wiggle room, I also have maximum liberty. Right? So I'm able to use the maximum liberty that I have. If I bump the fence back, I lose some of the ground that I am actually free to roam in, but I am safe. So that if something steps over a line, I'm not stepping into a place of sinfulness because all I'm doing is jumping over my synthetic fence, my standard, whatever I've put in place. And there are various churches that have done this various ways, right? Uh, as it relates to women contributing. Some churches really don't have any fences and people have fallen over that cliff all the time. Others set the fence right at the edge and say we're going to allow for, for this latitude. But if you do that, then when someone does step over the fence and over that cliff, because the fence is right on the edge, then the leadership has to have the courage and the fortitude to correct it, which is a very difficult thing to do. Or you can bump that back. Now, um, an example of this in our assembly is Tuesday night prayer. Uh, we used to, or early on in the church, um, never on Tuesday nights, but on Sunday nights when I opened it up to the men to pray, used to open it up to anyone to pray. And um, men, men would pray, women would pray, and um, that, that was fine. Um, with most churches of our stripe, th the way we solve any sort of a danger problem is we split up into men's and women's groups to pray. And in doing so, we to think about it or worry about it because women are praying with women, men are praying with men, and then it's not a problem. Now, there's nothing in the Bible that explicitly says that that has to be the way it is. There's nothing in the Bible that explicitly prohibits per se, I mean, depending on how we interpret 1 Corinthians 11, that explicitly prohibits the ability for women to pray in a mixed assembly. But we put that line there so that there doesn't have to be a regular danger zone that, that, that we're flirting with that makes people uncomfortable, grieves the spirits of certain people or whatever it might be as there's these lines that are stepped over. Now, I will say that the, Sam has asked about various aspects of, okay, what, what is prophesying? What would count as prophesying? Is that just reading the Bible? How does it, how, when does something boil over into teaching? And this is a really hard thing. And one of the reasons why it's a really hard thing is because 
a lot of things can teach us, can't they? I mean, testimony can teach. A question can teach. So the idea can't be, I don't believe, and we're, we're, we're free to debate this. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me to say, if anybody is taught by something that is said, that a woman says, that, that we have breached the principle. Because even a woman's testimony can teach me. Even her deportment can teach me. We can all learn things from one another in a, in a multitude of ways. But of course, what we do see explicitly stated here is the intent of usurping authority or taking of authoritative teaching in the church. Correcting, authoritatively standing up and proclaiming or teaching. And that is a different standard, I believe. When Joel asks, what is, uh, you know, how how do we discern that standard? When Sam says, where is that line? Um, I don't know that we can draw a direct one for, any, for every church. I don't know that we can, we can just mass produce cans of that line for everybody. Or perhaps the character of the church, the, the people involved, dictate some of that. And that's, not a, that's never a comfortable place to be because that is ripe for abuse. But I remind you that all of Christian liberty is ripe for abuse. Every time I preach a Christian liberty message, I have to give X number of caveats about how I'm not telling you that you can continue in sin that grace may abound, right? And when I preach on Christian liberty, what's going through one mind, yeah, it's my liberty to have this, is going through another mind saying, that's not liberty, that's sin. So we recognize that there are some areas within the church where there are ambiguities, things that we don't really know directly. Uh, There might be cultural differences, whereas in certain cultures, something might seem inappropriate or be inappropriate. In another culture, it may not be. There are uh, differences by generation. I think, was it, when we had you guys over on Wednesday, we were talking about the generational differences in standards, right? That there was a a generation where there was a set of standards in the church and for Christians. And that that there were certain of those standards which are indelible, they don't change. And then others of those standards that were explicitly in a place for a time because of testimony, because of culture, because of where culture was at that time, and the the desire of the church to maintain a distance from culture, and the testimony that they had in culture about a certain thing. And as culture changes, the, the ability to be able to engage in a certain action without damaging one's testimony, whereas 50 years ago you could not engage in that action without damaging your testimony, might mean that the standard by which we operate changes, though the principles that undergird them do not. And, and these are things that the church has always had to wrestle with. And so we you know, have relative lines that we, that we draw, and there's a process of women learning how to respectfully appeal, how to make statements or ask questions in a manner that reflects a, a determined submission to the teaching at hand, how to withhold from commenting about things when they know that their tone or their attitude might not be in submission, so much so that even if you are able to, you know, the words that come out of your mouth are able to be reflected in a manner that sounds submissive, if your heart is not in line, then you really should, should keep your mouth shut. And all of these things. And if the spirit, you know, if, if God's people are walking rightly, then both will be able to be discerned. First, the women will, will be able to discern a right spirit in submission, and then the leadership will be able to discern when that's not happening properly. Sam. Mm-hmm. with another brother kind of praying a little directed at it. Yeah. Um, 
right. Right. Yeah, and that's a very good point, that you can certainly see this abused both with men and with women as it relates to proper roles, proper authorities, or using, using a, a, um, a platform that you might have in order to do something outside of spiritual edification. And so it is a, a real possibility both ways and a reminder that as it relates to the way we operate in the church, it is not about, the church is not a place of religion, it's a place of spirituality. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do religious things, we do. We, we religiously sing, we religiously quote scripture, we religiously pray, we religiously listen to expounding of the word of God. Those are frameworks that we have put in place to draw us into worship and to draw us into relationship with the Lord. But spirituality is the key, which means we are a group of people who are walking in the spirit, who are spirit led. And when there is something that is out of place spiritually in the church, we're sensitive to it and we are careful to correct it regardless of what it is. And if we are in that place, then we can find this balance. And then, you know, then the church decides where do we put that fence. And, um, and, and by the way, the church has a, a place where they put the fence. And then individuals or families in the church might have their own fences as well. And as it relates to that, obviously they can't say, well, our fence is much closer to the cliff because if you come, when, when one comes into the assembly, you are submitting to the will of the body as it relates to the direction that the body is going. But there are certainly those within the body that might, that might, might move their fence back and simply say, well, we're not going to contribute or our women are not going to contribute or they're not going to contribute in this way, but they can contribute in that way as a means by which to um, guard their own propensities, proclivities. Uh, if, if there's a, a particular um, woman in the church who knows that she will not be able to handle the, 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 the restriction put upon her as it relates to her ability to reflect submission, then she should keep her mouth shut. And uh, then there is a process by which she can still be heard, which is if, if, if any woman would ask a question, let her ask her husband at home. And in the case of those that, that, that uh, are not married, uh, they go to a ordained authority, be that directly to me, outside of a public setting, or, or be that to uh, a father right in the church or, or whoever it might be. And you take it to that male authority and you allow that to be your buffer in order that it can be the male authority that reflects that, that sort of a challenge or concern um, in, in the body. Good. What else? Sarah. Well, a couple of thoughts there. First is you mentioned already that there's different roles to the body, right? 
So the idea that a woman's role is not going to be from behind this pulpit does not in any way, as we've already talked about throughout the series, negate the capacity for her to functionally serve the body in her fullness only in the ways that God has designed to be functional in the body. And we've also recognized throughout the history that um, the church has understood that certain women are gifted in communication and have freed them to be able to communicate fully and freely to the other women of the church so that she then becomes a, a, a tremendous functional asset of teaching and communication within the realm of the context that God has given. Um, so even if a woman is a good communicator, which we recognize that, 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 that there are women who are very good communicators, it does not intrinsically mean that she has no place there. And then second with that is um, we also do see the avenue of woman going through the man. And so as it relates to my teaching um, or to whatever it might be, um, there, there's a tremendous amount of my, my teaching that has been fundamentally impacted by women, the women of this church. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, my, especially things like my family series and whatever else, I preach these things and then women come up to me and say, Pastor Wickler, what about this? Um, entire sermons in my Hebrew series, the entire First John series, these were all initiated by women in the church. I preached First John because someone, because a woman in this church asked me about First John, and said, "Pastor, I want to know. Can you help me with this?" And I said, "Well, let's go there next." And so there are there are opportunities for women to influence through the proper means, and then to be that that influence where I get up and I say something, and then my wife comes up and says, "You know, what about compassion?" And I have to start maybe rethinking, oh, yeah, when I preached that, I, I did preach that, with, and I missed an entire side of something, um, and, and that, that's there, too. Sarah? In any way or just in a vocal way? Are you talking about contributing prayer and prophecy or are you talking about contributing? I'm talking about the extremes. Like just as it would be an extreme for a woman to exert authority over man, and that's a problem. Is there a problem area where a woman just, because they don't want to get anywhere close to that cliff, their fence is so far, they are physically not contributing to the body of Christ? I think any Christian who doesn't contribute to the body of Christ is missing. God's purpose for them. Um, God has made us, he's gifted us, and he has left us here in order to be a functional contributor. And if we're not being a functional contributor, it's not because we have nothing to contribute. It's because we are denying the contribution that God would have. And and that doesn't necessarily mean that, um, you know, if you don't know what your place is right now, well, it doesn't mean you're living in sin because you're not living in, you know, because you don't know what your place is. No, but start, start poking at all of the different areas where you might be able to contribute. And in, in, a, in a group like this, it's a lot harder. And what I mean by that is in, a, in your typical age segregated church, there's always something to do because you're always missing children's teachers, right? There's always a Sunday school that needs to be taught, a children's church that needs to be taught, a nursery. Uh, you can always add, add someone new to the nursery you can always add someone to one of those roles. We have deliberately stepped, you know, there's always someone that needs to be on the, on the audio equipment or whatnot. We've deliberately stepped, pulled all of that out. And one of the reasons is specifically so that God's people are not busy doing when they're supposed to be sitting and hearing what the word of God says on a Sunday morning. If we want to do a children's ministry, let's do that. Let's do it on a Saturday morning. For the kids of, of, of the community or whatnot. And let's go ahead and do a Bible club on a Saturday morning. And we'll have the families, whatever families of the church that can, come together and run some Bible club for the unbelieving children of our community on a Saturday morning. And we'll go from group to group to group, right? So there, there are ways that we could contribute 
In a small group like this, though, it might mean that someone has to step up and say, I need to start something. And I mentioned this to, to, to some folks recently. Um, if you are kind of in that place where you don't know what your role is, and you're troubled about that, but you do have these burdens, and you say, well, this, this could be a really great thing, but you're not a starter, or you don't, exactly, you don't even know where to start, come talk to me. I'm happy to get you rolling. I can't lead the ministry. I need others to do that stuff. I need others to step into those roles of leading something, of taking it and making it their own. But if you need resources, if you need to get the ball rolling, if you need others to catch the vision with you, if you need me to talk to some person in Buffalo or, or, or in the surrounding area, some, some official or whatnot, to, to get things rolling... If we need to start having communication with ministries so that we can get into the public schools or whatever it might be, get into the libraries, get into fill in the blank. Well, yeah, I can, I can, I can get those snowballs rolling for you, but then you're just going to have to start doing the pushing after the fact. So don't let that hinder you. But um, yeah, I, I think that if we, anyone who is quenching, completely quenching the, their role in the church. Now, again, when we talk about this, We recognize that our perception of our role in the church may not be God's. Women, when you are raising your children, that is priority number one. You are raising the next generation of the church. You are serving the church by raising godly children. You do not need to spend every waking moment that you're not with your kids knocking on doors or, 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 or taking meals to someone or whatever the case may be. Wonderful, wonderful if you have the time to do that. But your priority number one as it relates to how you serve the body of Christ is to raise children who love God. And then once that season of life is over, once you have other children to help and those sorts of things and you can take some more time, well then maybe you can see other areas where you can contribute to the body if the Lord lays it upon your heart to do so and you know that you've got gifts and talents that, that the body can use. Um, but yes, anyone who, anyone who abandons the body out of fear of stepping over some line, whether man or woman, um, is, is doing exactly that. They're, they're, they're denying the body something that God has clearly compelled and called each of us to, to do. Other thoughts on that? So that's a really good point as well, that we do need to be careful that we are not denying our, our role out of fear or out of uh, such an abundance of caution that we've basically been frozen into inaction. Now, I don't think that that would necessarily directly be a threat as it relates to women speaking. I suppose there could be a, an instance where um, if, it, if it came down to it, the idea of a woman is not even going to help other women, talk to other women, counsel other women because she's so concerned to where she's letting women grope in the darkness of their own confusion and she has uh, you know, a stabilizing help and answers and, and she's not tapping into her own abilities because she's so afraid of saying anything that might um, frustrate her confused or whatnot, there could be an argument there that she would be denying a role that the Lord might have for her as well. Okay, so we have all these question marks. What is prophecy? Are we just talking about reading the Bible? Well, we're talking about edifying the believers, building up. Now, not everything that builds up is teaching, is it? There's a lot of reminding that happens in building up. There's a lot of repeating that happens in building up. There's a lot of saying the same thing to someone that they've heard before, but they need to hear again in building up. There's a lot of um, faithfulness and consistency and, 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 and provocation that is a part of building up. And so I believe that there's a place that there's an argument that could be made that within the realm of this word prophecy, as we've seen it in 1 Corinthians, there is a place where women can speak freely. And then prayer as well. There, certainly there are those preaching prayers, 
right, where, um, and this happens most often with preachers, where the preacher is actually um, preaching in his prayer. He's continuing his message for another five or ten minutes uh, as he's praying at the end of his message, uh, and he's making new points and connecting new dots in his prayer. And there's preachy type prayers, not, not the best way to go for any of us as it relates to praying. It's one of those things that rather bothers me, um, and I try to avoid myself. But, um, but then there are true prayers, And prayers are a petition unto God. And there's certainly a place where that can be done in shamefacedness, silence, as it's defined in the scriptures, uh, and in submission. And uh, um, I've mentioned before, my wife and I, one time when my my girls were young and Benjamin wasn't even born yet, it was a long time ago, we went to a, a Russian church in the area. We had been picking up a, a big glass window from a guy who was giving it away on Craigslist. And uh, he was, uh, uh, was he Ukrainian? He was, he was from one of, the, one of those Eastern Bloc countries. Um, and the, the first time I came, I just grabbed what I needed. Well, he had something else, and I came back for that. And I brought the family, and we kind of connected with his family. And um, found out that they were believers and that they went to this, this Russian church. So they invited us to come and we went on a Wednesday. And um, uh, what the women did there was during the prayer time. And I only saw the older women pray. Um, I, uh, I don't know if that was by design or just by happenstance that evening. But what, the, what these older women in the church would do, it was almost like a popcorn prayer thing. The assembly stayed together for their prayer time. And then either they had designated people beforehand to pray or whoever felt led to pray, prayed. But these elder women, they would stand up, they would put a head covering on their head, and then they prayed. And then when they were done praying, they would take the head covering off and they would sit down. And that was the way that they reflected this principle in the assembly as it related to corporate prayer. And um, so there there are a lot of different ideas, methods, thoughts, um, traditions on on how to make this work. Of course, our strategy is effectively just in the corporate assembly, men pray. And then when we want to give women the opportunity to do so, we split up into groups, women pray with women, men pray with men. And I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with that as long as there's men willing to step up and to do their part. And if men aren't willing to step up and do their part, we've probably got bigger problems anyway. Um, Because that's a sure sign that your church is not going in the right direction when all of the men are not stepping up. Um, and, and the women are the ones that are having to step up as it relates to those things. So that's where we've gone the line. That doesn't necessarily mean the line has to stay there forever. Um, and so the, question, the questions are, how do we draw these lines? Well, we've worked through that. Now, the, the final question is, you know, what might we better or how might we better apply these principles? And I don't think we're going to actually answer that question corporately tonight, but it's something that is worth us thinking about, is are there ways that we can better apply these principles? Are there ways, husband, father, that you can better apply these principles? Uh, wife, daughter, um, uh, um, woman in the church, is there, is there, there a way or, or, or does there need to be more teaching? We, we've talked about respectful appeal. It'll probably come up, we're going to be starting our family family series here in just a couple of weeks. And usually within that family series, one of the things I teach is how is respectful appeal to help a wife understand how to appeal to her husband for something without stepping outside of his submission, without nagging or berating or all of those different things, right? And instead just respectfully appealing to him within the bounds of the authority structure in the home. Uh, but respectful appeal, something that, that is important. Uh, being able to to make these questions or, or um, <coughs> excuse me, statements while still maintaining proper authority structure. And some of that, again, as we've talked about, is cultural. Um, in First Peter, the Bible talks about how Sarah called Abraham Lord, right? And the idea there was that she was using a title that reflected directly in the manner in which she, uh, in which she addressed her husband the, the structure, 
Now, in, um, in, in various churches, that, that, that's often a title, right? Rabbi, pastor, father, right? There, there are various titles, and those titles are meant as explicitly to be a statement of authority. That when you call me pastor, it's not because I'm special, but it is a statement by which you are seeking to reflect to me your position and my position in the conversation. When you come up and say, hey, Jamin, how's it going? The, we are on equal footing. When you say, hello, pastor, how are you today? You have actually placed yourself under a title. And um, I don't you know, have a, a particular problem in most settings as it relates to it with here, you know, having people call me by my name. Now, if a person always calls me by my name, I know something about them. I know something about, they are making a statement to me if it's always Jamin and it's never pastor, right? And, and, and I don't get offended at that, but, but there is an understanding culturally about what a person is saying if it's always Jamin. And we, we have that culturally and that's something that, that culturally makes sense. So there are even little things like titles that can reflect um, Authority. My wife, when she is being careful to walk a line of authority, I hear, sir. Now, she doesn't usually call me sir, but if there is something where she needs to express to me that she is submitted to me, she will say, yes, sir. Or she'll come up and she'll use sir as a part of that. that that's her calling me Lord in the first Peter sense, Abraham sense. That is her attempt to reflect her determination to sit under authority. And so lots of different strategies that can be used as a means by which to reflect such things. And we just need to be thoughtful. Be thoughtful about how it is that we go about asking our questions, uh, making our comments, reflecting them in a manner that, 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 that uh, um, keeps authority structures in the church in place as they ought to be not over elevating not not um you know refusing to question me because i'm the pastor or anything of the sort but just having proper roles okay F final thoughts on that